You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 47. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapists Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Rambach, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. In this episode, I'm chatting with Gretchen Chardos-Benner. Gretchen is married with two children who are five and almost three. Her family motivated their relocation from Pennsylvania to South Carolina, and now two of her sisters, an aunt, cousin, and her parents are an hour drive or closer. Gretchen founded Piedmont Music Therapy, LLC, to provide music therapy services in the greater Charlotte area from early childhood to older adults and private music lessons. Their family time is most enjoyed with crafts, music, baking, and frolicking outside. Gretchen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Rachel. I'm excited to be talking with you. Me too. So why don't we start with you giving us some background about your career and how you came to be a music therapist? Sure. I slowly joined the music therapy field thanks to my sister because she's also a music therapist. Um, So I was back in the undergraduate years of searching for college. I was looking for conservatories or music schools to focus on my viola playing. And it just happened to be that the college I selected also had a music therapy degree program. So I entered as a viola performance major in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and thankfully my sister met our then department chair, Sister Donna Marie Beck, and it came upon the decision to enroll me into the Intro to Music Therapy class for zero credits. So that was a nice way of learning about music therapy since I really didn't understand what my sister had gone to college for at all. So after enrolling in that class and sitting in to undergraduate intro course, I quickly decided I really want to add this as a degree. So I dual majored in it, which I'm so grateful for in undergrad because I really felt not just from the textbook knowledge that you learn, but from doing some observations my freshman year, it was so humbling just to witness the power and just the force of music especially in really strict medical settings. It was so enlightening to see practicing music therapists that were willing to allow us to observe as freshmen to really see behind the scenes how incredible the field is. That is a pretty amazing opportunity. Yeah. I want to I want to go back just a little bit to where you said that your sister had already gone through school to become a music therapist. How far um, ahead of you is your sister? She is five years above me. Okay. Yeah, so she had already completed her undergraduate degree at Loyola University in Hollins, Louisiana. Okay. So I'm not sure if Teresa was still in her internship at that point out west um, or she had already finished that with Dr. Barbara Royer. But if anything, my siblings know me so well, just like my parents. So I'm forever indebted to Teresa just because she really knew that it would be a calling for me. And sometimes we have to hear things from multiple sources before we're like, okay, now I'm ready. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Let's go again. (laughs) 
So did you not really have a full understanding of what she was studying at the time that she was in school? It was quite limited. Okay. It was quite limited to maybe what I encounter people thinking, oh, music therapist. So if someone's hand hurts, you give them a tambourine and shake it. Oh, that makes sense. Like it was a very fundamental application. Okay. Thing. And I think it was also just my maturity level. Um, she went to school. Uh, you would have to fly to visit her. So maybe if she had been in a school closer to me, I would have had a little bit of a closer understanding. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's so funny because I just saw your sister's name now that you've said her first name. And uh-huh. I noticed that your um, maiden name was the same as her last name. And I thought, I wonder if they're related. <laughs> yeah, because it was funny. I was listening to um, Ginny Driscoll's podcast with you, and Ginny and Teresa had gone to school together because Ginny, like, name-dropped a few of her classmates from Iowa, and I was like, yay, my sister. <laughs> oh, no, that's that must be where I heard it because I know okay. it was recently. Okay, yeah, and I that's so funny. I did not put two and two together. I thought of you, obviously, when, when I heard her last name, but mm-hmm. I didn't think, oh, they're siblings. That yeah, is, that's so neat. Yeah, it's definitely um, such an awesome bond that we have, especially when we reunite at, like, professional conferences just to kind of take part in that development together. Yeah, no kidding. So talk us through the remainder of your undergraduate studies going into your internship. Sure. I was fortunate to have really awesome faculty that were really, you know, encouraging. And it was a small school feel, even though we were in a big city in Pittsburgh. It was a challenge balancing a performance degree since, um, you know, performance, performance in that realm, the teachers aren't always as forgiving for you not giving 120% to practice time and to juries and performances. So it was a a struggle to, you know, maintain 20-ish credits a semester and working part-time. But, you know, a lot of, just like we know is parents, a lot of self-care was needed. (laughs) So I really found strength connecting with people through campus ministry and different volunteer opportunities just to remind myself that today's a new day. I'm going to get through this. Um, So that was helpful to finish the degree, you know, in my time span of four years. And I, I absolutely loved my program. It was a very small graduating class. There were four of us that graduated my senior year. And it was just a very close-knit community, which was helpful. And it also led to some leadership opportunities, even at a student level. And I feel that was a nice way to slowly meet music therapists through service positions. And that was really, you know, encouraged and prompted at undergraduate level, which I'm grateful for because I don't know if I hadn't have had those opportunities of service as a student leader had I been as courageous now as a professional leader to just juggle that time commitment. Yeah, I found that to be true with my program as well. Um, My undergraduate program especially, I was a performance major, so I didn't study music therapy in my undergrad. But having having such a small peer group, I feel like I got so many more opportunities just across the board. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that really um, opened up some doors for me and just made me more confident overall than if maybe I had been 
in a larger class with lots and lots of classmates at the same level as me. Right. Because going to school so far away from home, because I was a South Carolinian moving to Pennsylvania, I really struggled with being homesick <laughs> for quite a long time. I would say easily into my sophomore year of college. So it did help me, like you said, in multiple ways to have a closer knit community since, you know, they become your extended family when you spend that much time learning together, you know, seeking friends assistance with classes and um, getting to classes on time because I was not a, a morning bell at all. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way. I also went to school far away from my family. So okay. I had those same struggles. And yeah. I think just being a music major in general, it's more of a family atmosphere than than pretty much any other school um, mm -hmm. within a college. So um, that definitely helped too. Yeah, you're right. So after you finished your undergraduate studies, where did you end up interning? So I interned a state away in Cleveland, Ohio. And it was a split internship through the Cleveland Music School Settlement. So I benefited from having several supervisors simultaneously. And it was also a part-time internship. So it stretched to a 10-month period to model like the academic school year, which was helpful for me since I worked on the side of the internship. For clinical hours, the sites were at a public school working with um middle and high schoolers that had intellectual and developmental disabilities. There was a site that was more medically based, and that was the Cleveland Clinic on their palliative care unit. I also worked at our actual home base agency, the Music School Settlement, and that was servicing children and adolescents that had a variety of like IDD um, issues going on. And I'm trying to think if I'm missing out any. Yeah, that was basically the site. And I think total I worked with four supervisors and it was a very, it was an awesome community to be an intern within since there were so many music therapists at the settlement. I can't remember the actual total thinking back. I want to say it was 10 or more music therapists housed at the settlement that, you know, contracted out in the Cleveland area. But I was just always coming back to home base, like just feeling so excited to share a desk with other music therapists and, you know, attend music therapists only meetings. It, it was so cool to just, you know, it's contagious that creativity and that encouragement from actual music therapy colleagues. Yeah, that's awesome. And especially having the opportunity to observe so many different styles of mm -hmm. and approaches of music therapy at once. Yes. Um, I also had multiple supervisors. I had three, and they were all very different in their approaches and in their therapeutic styles. So um, I felt like I got a much more well-rounded experience that way. Did you kind of have that same experience? Yes. I mean, it was definitely work just receiving feedback from multiple people. I mean, if anything, it, it helped me grow so much just to be first of all, open to all of that feedback, you know, as an intern, because they're so fragile starting it out, but just so grateful because they had such well intentions, both for the clients we were serving and just for my own development as an intern. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's wonderful. So what, during your internship, did you kind of have an idea of where you wanted to end up 
afterwards or were you kind of just um, figuring out things as you went? Right. So at this time, my boyfriend, who's now my husband, was looking at graduate schools. So this was like impacting where we'd be moving and living after internship. And so, like you said, I was pretty open to what the job market would be depending on where we moved to once my internship was completed and he finished his degree, his undergraduate degree. And it ended up being Duquesne University where I completed my undergrad. He continued on for graduate school, which was great that he was only, you know, a short two-hour drive away during my internship, which I think helped me focus on my internship since he was two hours away, one way, <laughs> driving. And it also just helped me have, you know, my close network system and easy drive away for weekend visits. But he ended up um, choosing Duquesne University for his graduate degree. So that helped me decide, okay, well, I'm going to be looking for jobs in Pittsburgh then. That's neat that you ended up back where you were already at least familiar with the area and sort yeah. of had the lay of the land. Did you feel like that helped you kind of get settled after your internship? Oh, Rachel, definitely. It was so helpful. Just not having to learn another city, like driving and one-way streets and bridges. Um, this was before the era of having like an app for driving directions. Oh, yes. <laughs> and this is, right, this is our era of like printing literal MapQuest. Map yes. yes. <laughs> And there were so many times that I would be driving Cleveland holding like three pieces of paper to get from here to there that I was just like, ah, this is really hard. Oh, I'm um, right there with you. Yeah, my whole internship was so much driving all around St. Louis. And uh -huh. so I had like a whole folder of map quests for right. like every location that I went to. <laughs> yes. I mean, even now living here in, in Fort Mill, South Carolina, we've been here about two and a half years. I still, I just don't have a great sense of directions. I definitely received that from my dad's genealogy. So I sh really struggled in Cleveland. So you're right. Moving back to Pittsburgh was just so comforting, both because Duquesne was home sweet home, that I got to visit him through his graduate studies, um, having the network of fellow alumni through the university, being able to get back into like churches and just priests and other people that I was familiar with, it was very comforting to at least have some continuity. So I wasn't just picking up and starting everything and job searching on my own. So the networking really benefited me moving back to Pittsburgh since I had already been in touch with that music therapy community looking yeah. for jobs, that is. Did you have some job prospects heading back there? Um, yeah, I ended up landing... Uh, a really great job right out of internship in Pittsburgh. So that was, um, looking back, I'm just shocked that I received a job straight out of internship only because I think we're our own worst critics with just self-doubting. But thankfully, I landed an awesome full-time job with great benefits at a Catholic hospital that was a block away from my undergraduate program. <laughs> oh, nice. So, um it, it was it was amazing. It worked out really well to land that job um, right out of internship. And I, I hadn't even sat for my boards yet when I started working um, my job. But signing into the contract, there was, you know, a period that I needed to sit for my certification. 
and um, think, thankfully I passed that the first time because I'm not the best test takers. I get really <laughs> anxious. Um, so that worked out well, and it was also a big rush, I'll have to admit to you, because the job did require that I worked on attaining a master's degree, signing into it since it was a psychiatric setting. So it was, Rachel, like a very quick process to signing a full-time, my first full-time job that was music therapy, you know, 100% music therapy, and applying for grad schools, <laughs> looking into um, tuition assistance programs, like picking all of that very quickly for time reasons because I, you know, started working, I believe it was in August, right around when I had to apply for a deadline for a social work program down the road at University of Pittsburgh. So it went straight into working full-time, my first job, and beginning graduate school part-time. That had to be a little overwhelming for somebody <laughs> just leaving internship and going into their first job. I think, if anything, I was so used to not overcommitting, but really just spending all my time on work that it was the norm for me to say, oh, okay, 40 hours a week plus grad school, I got this, you know, like, yeah. it just helped continue it. I think if now someone had said that to me, I would have definitely laughed and said, you know, look for someone else to say yes to all of that committing. But it, um, it was a natural flow for me because I really wanted that job and it was an awesome opportunity. And the employer provided great tuition assistance since it was a University of Pittsburgh-affiliated hospital. So it was financially really rewarding to, to take up that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I totally am with you on being in that mode already of like school and hustle and bustle and internship. I sort of did everything really fast all in a row. And now if you told me to go back to school, I'm like, I could never do it. Yes. I really don't think I could. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then once I started um, working there, um, I got married the year after back home in Columbia, South Carolina. It was like a destination wedding for us. But thankfully my parents, I was the fourth daughter, so – they had pretty much ironed out all the kinks for <laughs> wedding planning. Wow, I'm sure. Um, we then had our daughter in between semesters of my grad program. So Madeline, my daughter, was born the night of my last final in December. So it, um, Madeline Grace really flowed right into a great break from semesters so I could continue with my coursework and then ease out of that maternity leave. You know, if anything, it helped just ease going back to night classes and then returning full-time work so I wasn't as emotionally um, fixated on returning home for my newborn. <laughs> right. So you said she was born the night of your final. Was this after or before the final occurred? I went into labor um, before the final, so I did text a classmate after she was born, you know, kiddingly, like, is this okay as an excuse <laughs> as a teacher, but the social work, if anything, that field, they're so humanistic, so um, later on, I got a great greeting card from the class they had signed congratulating me on her birth, so it was a very 
supportive um, career to be focusing on in grad school. Because it was night class, I typically wasn't able to stay seated after a full day of working and then sitting for like a two and a half hour lecture. Mm-hmm. So I commonly would be in the back of class just like stretching and <laughs> eating my dinner and <laughs> or grabbing a chair to like elevate my feet. So if anything, I'm so appreciative that they were just so open and welcoming to that because I had to make it work. And um, I felt very supported both from my coworkers and just my classmates and teachers. Nice, nice. So how did you handle all everything that was on your plate emotionally once Madeline was born? It was a challenge. I, I did a lot of praying, <laughs> just praying for serenity and just praying that I'm not in control of everything, but I feel I'm where I should be and um, trying to feel proud that Madeline has a working mom and working parents that take amazing care of her and have a second family with our Pittsburgh connections since my husband was from Maryland. Um, I definitely um, praise lactation consultants because I <laughs> I needed a lot of support trying to navigate um, using a double electric pump, breast pump for continuing to feed my daughter with breast milk through grad classes and through work. And so I had a lactation hotline on speed dial on my cell phone <laughs> because I didn't really, I had never learned about that up until needing it, you know, in crisis mode, like I've got a pump, I'm <laughs> right. bored, what's going on? <laughs> so um, that was really helpful to me just to figure out those basics to make life a little bit more comfortable knowing that I was still able to feed her from afar. And certainly my husband was so supportive just to help keep the wheels running at home and to help figure out, you know, becoming a parent is hard enough as it's his own. And then, like you said, when you're juggling extra things, it's taxing. But we we got through that, and thankfully I graduated a year later um, going through three more basically little semesters while she was growing up. But that was an exciting graduation. <laughs> yeah, I I bet you felt like finishing that that era of your life that if you could make it through all of that at one time yes. that you could pretty much tackle and conquer yes. anything. Yes, absolutely. And now when I like I have a girlfriend from home that we went to high school with who similarly is working full-time as a teacher, um, has a six-month-old and is pursuing grad school part-time. And I'm like, I could do it. If I could do it, you can do it. You know, and I think it's so helpful just to encourage others. Then again, there were people in grad school, Rachel, that were working full-time and going to school full-time that had, like, older children, but still a family. And I, to me, that was like, what? How are you balancing it? So I think in comparing with them, I was like, I, this is manageable. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Every situation has its own unique challenges. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So what did things look like for you and your family after you completed grad school? Um, it was relieving, but a little inspiring. Like, what do we do with free time? <laughs> <laughs> a good um, problem to have. Yeah. So that was, that was enjoyable to actually have more quality time at home together and, um, yeah, not just cramming everything 
also less time with public transportation because I use that a lot for grad school. So it was just great being home more, um, really feeling that role as a mom more since I it was limited, you know, smushed between the full-time job because the job I signed into was awesome, but it had a rotated schedule as in I would work four weekdays and then every other weekend. And that's hard to do as a parent, even a young parent. Um, you know, I signed it as then a, a single, I'm not sure. I don't think we were engaged yet when I signed into the job, but I feel like it's, it was a hard balance not being home, um, every other Saturday, Sunday. So I was still, I think just adjusting to how to make my mommy time flow with that balance. Yeah. And did you have any options for changing that schedule or was that pretty much set at that point from then on? It was pretty set. There were some coworkers that were super helpful just around the holidays to help me stack my vacation days a little bit closer since our family lived far away. That was a challenge. You know, Rachel, like if I wanted to travel to South Carolina, I need more than two days off. <laughs> right. So I did have to do a lot of just friendly requests. And some coworkers, I mean, who's not going to befriend someone that recently had a baby to be like, no, you're going to have to work the day after Thanksgiving, you know? So that was really helpful just to have supportive coworkers to say, obviously, we want you to go home too, because you're going to be happier getting sunshine down south, since Pittsburgh was a very, it can be a very gray weathered city to live in. That's factual. <laughs> you, you know, I when I think of Pittsburgh, I think of gray. And I've never even been there, but I don't, I don't know why that is. Well, Rachel, that's a very great perspective on it. I mean, it's an awesome city, but there are a lot of days where it's just kind of overcast. Mm -hmm. And as a palmetto bug, like it was hard for me to wake up every day and be like, whoa, where's the sunshine? And even like a funny story, freshman year, I look out of my dorm window and it's snowing on campus. And I, was, I said to my roommate, like, Sam, this is awesome. We don't have class today. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's snowing. <laughs> because down south, you know, if it flurries, we don't have the infrastructure of salting and such. Right. So I was like, what? We have to walk through the flurries <laughs> to class on campus? So I definitely grew a lot with driving through snow to work. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. That's definitely a learning challenge all on its own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, how did things evolve for your family as time went on and as you were getting further into your career and um, just enjoying life as a mom? It was definitely a balance for me. I think some of it was more challenging for me just because of my population and that was a hospital serving mostly inpatient psychiatry, adult psychiatry. So a lot of mood disorders and thought disorders. And just a little bit of time working with folks that had um, dual addictions, um, dual diagnoses rather. So it was a little challenging to work with folks that would give their perspective on, you're back to work already, who's taking care of your baby? Um you know, just a lot of personal questions that were hard for me to just continually filter or to refocus back on, you know, the conversation as to why they're inpatient. And these wouldn't always come up in the session. It would be like in between times when I'm walking down the hallway or gathering people for meals, helping out on the unit. 
And so I think that was just a struggle gaining comfort with hearing someone's saying their own perspective and advice and not always taking it and following it, you know, just trusting my own gut, my own upbringing, um, you know, or just getting a lot of personal comments about even through the pregnancy because I was pregnant twice while working there. And it, there were some days that it really was hard for me that I'd kind of go back to the nurse's station and powwow with some close nurses because it can be hard to get a lot of really rude or um, direct comments about your size <laughs> or um, just offensive statements about your pregnancy because you don't have the best working relationship with the patients. But I just always try to remember it's not personal. You know, they're having a bad day, and for whatever reason, they're targeting my pregnant self. Right, right. <laughs> Which was unfortunate. But that did, I think, by the second pregnancy, I was much more content with just being a pregnant person and having people ask all the time, but still not needing to disclose all the details about my personal life because of the setting I was serving. What kinds of things did you need to do differently in order to prepare for having a second child? Through work, I just had to improve self-care. So making sure that I had healthier snacks accessible, making sure I always had water on hand so I didn't binge and go to the cafeteria and get a bottle of Diet Coke caffeine-free, <laughs> <laughs> which was always like a, ooh, yay, me time. Um, I was grateful, Rachel, because through my second pregnancy, I signed up for like this um, healthy coaching service through through work. And it was more of like an insurance, I think it was factored in somehow like a deductible, like it would, it would benefit you if you participated in it. And so I was like, sure, I'll sign up for this healthy coaching. And it ended up being time with a health coach on the phone. And you kind of had to report like your food logs and reads um, very brief, like two to three page things before checking in with the coach. And I am telling you, I am so grateful that I did it during my pregnancy because it just made me a lot more aware of what I was eating, what I had on hand, both in my office and at home or on the unit. Because I was hungry often, and just to combat nausea, it was helpful just to talk to someone who was like, oh, well, how about you do this? How was your latest appointment? What were they saying? Um, so that was really a cool opportunity to take part in that during the second pregnancy. Yeah, that's awesome. I wish I had had something like that during mine, especially with your second, because you also had a young child at home, so that yes. takes up a lot of your time and energy that, you know, might otherwise be spent focusing on yourself and your own self-care. Yes. Yeah, it was it was really helpful. And I learned a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what kind of challenges did you face once your son was born? Well, Jackson was born right before we relocated to South Carolina. Um, so my biggest challenge, I'd say – um, with Jackson's birth, he did have like a little bit of a complication that came up on an ultrasound early into the first or second trimester. So that took some time before it resolved that I was, um, pretty frazzled emotionally because I didn't, we didn't have the answers yet. So that took some time. But after Jackson was born, 
again, like that whole mantra on self-care, I was, we had relocated here, looking into starting a private practice, trying to network in a state I hadn't lived in for almost 10 years. So if anything, I just wanted to try to make sure I had newborn time with my son. And I did a lot of pumping in the car, um, which I had never had to do with my daughter. I either pumped like in a bathroom or in my office. So it was definitely a struggle to orchestrate um, how to continue feeding my son while commuting in a new area. Yeah, that is not necessarily a fun thing to do. (laughs) No, not at all. Yeah. No. The things we do for our kids, right? Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, I love I loved breastfeeding and I loved making it work. I was able to feed um, for a year both children, but Jackson definitely took a lot more just timing out and preparations and figuring out what refrigerators, if I was home away from home for an extended period of time where I could find a refrigerator since ice packs wouldn't cut it just temperature-wise. So that was kind of fun to figure that out for him and um yeah moving to South Carolina that the move was brought on to be closer to family so now that I live here our home um, my parents are like an hour away and my two of my sisters are really close by they each have four children and a husband so I'm just so grateful to be able to attend for, you know, my nephew or niece's birthday parties or run into people at church or the grocery store that are like blood family. I mean, we had an awesome community in Pittsburgh. I greatly miss that, but there's nothing like running into a sister or, um, honking at a nephew you see driving by now that he has his license. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that is for sure. That's wonderful. So what are some of the most fulfilling aspects for you being a working mom and having two kids? Well, I'm, I'm just so grateful to be able to, to be a working mom and to have two children that are just so excited to see me every day. And also as a mom that's also a music therapist, I just find it so humbling that I have two healthy children. Like I'm just so grateful after seeing different situations like, wow this could be a whole lot harder and the struggles that I have are nothing compared to other mothers or other families. So I find I'm just so grateful when I come home and it's also real fulfilling just to share my craft with my children. Like when I come home, it's hilarious, like how they both like plow through since my office is at home, they will plow through like my bags of instruments or visual aids (laughs) I'm like, guys, where are all my turkeys? You know, back last month in Thanksgiving, they just love exploring things that I use for work, my different materials. And I, I'm just so grateful that as a music therapist, there's nothing in my bag that's like harmful for them. Right, right. So I think it's so great that they're able to experience it and to at least know a little bit about what I do. So when I leave the house my daughter a little bit, well, where are you going? What are you going to do? Who are you going to see? <laughs> so it's neat to be able to either say, I'm going to go teach someone how to play the piano for private lessons. Or if I try to explain to a four-year-old, now she's five, actually, I'm going to go work with some children that are trying to use more words when they're talking to people. So it's, it's really cool to be able to have your children understand what you do and to also 
just enjoy music when it's not work. Um, my husband's a musician as well. He's a trump jazz trumpeter. So it's great to have instruments everywhere through our house. <laughs> and just to always have that as a reminder that it's for music making at home too, not just music for work purposes, but I still need to be using music with my own family for our own, you know, relationship and bonding moments. Yeah, that's, and I feel like that's something that has really been a joy for my family too, because as a music therapist, sometimes you get burnt out on music because you have so much of it in your life and in your day. And to be able to just do it purely for fun has been just really enjoyable with my kids too. So, right. Yeah. It is so fun. Or it's fun too. Like I think you've mentioned before in the past with other podcasts episodes, just when you're able to try things out with your children to see like, how did that go? Or did I not explain that well enough since they're still looking at me confused? So if anything, it's helpful for just work prep right? <laughs> for them to help you, you know, develop your skills and just your patience overall, I feel has been um, greatly expanded upon now that I'm a mother. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've talked so much about self-care and I feel like that's kind of been a theme throughout this entire interview. What are some of the things that you're currently doing for self-care? Well, I joined an ultimate Frisbee pickup game every week now. And um, ultimate Frisbee was a sport I joined in undergrad. I had no experience with it up until I moved away for college. And I found a group that gets together every week here in the area. And um, it's nice to be able to take two hours away from my home, away from work, just to exercise and have fun, you know, with other people playing an easy non-contact sport and great weather and then come home, um, you know, just even more invigorated to come home to get ready for the work week because the games are on the weekends. So self-care for me is definitely making sure I have time to exercise, especially outdoors since all my work is indoors. And then I would also just continue how for me when I'm stressed out I do not eat really healthy especially if I have a lot of um, contracts from driving around on certain days or as a supervisor so self-care for me is just planning my meals so I can have the healthiest and most affordable options which is in turn going to help how I feel and how I handle situations yeah I think that is such a good um, thing to focus on as self-care because yeah for me I know especially that is something that goes by the wayside when I get stressed as well it's like oh I'll just grab the most convenient quick easy yeah. thing so right that's something that I'm definitely putting um, on my priority list um, for this year is is working more on that so thank you for that little um, reminder yeah no of course I mean <laughs> I think it's so true, like what we put into our bodies, like it makes sense and we say that as therapists. So um, exercise, food, and then the other one is just really finding time like for my own spiritual life. Um, my husband and I are in a small Bible study group and um, just attending church regularly. Again, just to have more opportunities to be with people, not in a work setting. Um, I, I just love working on community building and, you know, lamenting with other moms, um, 
or parents, it's helpful to be at church and to like give a smile or wave to another mom that's struggling with their children being quiet in wooden pews. Yes. <laughs> um, so church for me is like a great place that is supposed to be quiet. You know, we think the library is supposed to be quiet, but since we're always reading to our children or there's like fun computers to play with, it's not always like a relaxing place for me um, because my kids like want to check out every book nearby or pick out their DVDs. But church for me is like the one time a week that we're all dressed from head to toe. (laughs) We've got our snacks, you know, we have our roles and there's nothing leadership wise that I have to be doing with my family. I can just take part um, in a community. So that's been something that like we cannot miss church because I really need my time, you know, and if we're traveling, then I will take one or two kids and we'll take turns because it's too hard for all of us to attend simultaneously. Um, but that's been something that just through the years, some continuity because it took some acclimating moving back to South Carolina from Pittsburgh since I had been up in the mid Atlantic region for so long. Um, that's something that's brought some comfort for me. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, Gretchen, do you have a piece of advice that you'd like to share with fellow music therapists, maybe who are just starting out on this journey? Sure. I would just say um, meet some other music therapists and um, other parents or soon-to-be parents because we're all so excited to share the journey together. And, I mean, even you, Rachel, I remember befriending you at a conference, and it was just so nice to just sit down and get coffee together and just to unwind and chit-chat and learn from one another. So my advice would be to just do your best to meet some other people and um, get your own little core group going because we all need encouragement and it's, it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing advice. It's so true. And, and we're always, I feel like as, as moms and especially in the music therapy field, so willing to share and, and befriend others because we all can learn from each other when it comes to parenting and, um, our professional lives. Yes, definitely. Well, Gretchen, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story with us. Thanks so much, Rachel. I'm delighted to talk with you. And thanks for all that you do for us working moms and just for music therapists in general. You are just an awesome source of inspiration and energy. So kudos to you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And the same goes for you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Gretchen a message, you can contact her via her website, piedmontmusictherapy.com. Get in touch with me and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And while you're there, make sure to sign up for my newsletter. I'll talk to you again next week.